the more accurate the numbers that you can get for, for every single variable, the more likely your property is, is going to perform exactly as you predicted. So you want to make sure that you are not only diligent about doing the numbers, but you are also diligent about going out and finding the real, the right numbers to make sure your property is performing exactly as you predicted. Yeah. And what we use as real estate investors is cash on cash calculators. But really that is the core of what we do when we decide if we want to buy a property. It's not emotional. It's not about whether or not there might be appreciation. We want to make sure that it's going to cash flow because that's going to make it an asset, not a liability. We don't want to be in the situation that a property is cash flow net neutral or negative and that we're paying out of pocket to support that property. Because when something happens, if something happens or when with a downturn, we don't want to be in the situation that we're trying to support that property and we're having to work to support it. Have you ever dreamed of owning a vacation home? What if it could double as an investment property that makes you money and helps you save on taxes? Our new course, Accelerating Wealth Short-Term Rental Blueprint, will teach you how to purchase and set up your short-term rental the right way. Learn more about the course at semiretiredmd.com slash str hyphen course. This episode is sponsored by our brand new course called Fast Fire Bookkeeping for Real Estate Investors. Do you have a pile of receipts and a bunch of statements that are stacking up in your office and the pile isn't getting any smaller? Are your rental properties getting you closer to financial freedom? Do you even know how your properties are performing? Well, the answer to your problem is doing your books the right way. And that's what our course is about. We'll teach you how to set up your books the right way, not just for tax time, but also so you can unlock the insights that will help you maximize your cash flow. For more information or to sign up, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash fast fire bookkeeping. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Today, we're going to have a very special episode. We'll be talking about the five mistakes real estate investors most commonly make. Yeah. And so just to clarify, I mean, this is based off of things that we've seen, uh, people that we've worked with. As you know, we uh, work with a lot of doctors and high income professionals uh, and their families and their families. You know, and these are the things that we've seen commonly uh, time and time again. So we wanted to just kind of summarize the five things that we see most commonly. uh, And we want to make sure that you don't make these mistakes. So number one is they want to figure out themselves. You know, as doctors and high income professionals, we're really, really used to figuring it out a way, you know, pushing through the tough times and and coming out ahead. And so because of that, oftentimes we don't go to other people to ask for help, or we don't ask other people for advice. We just know that we can generally make it through. So we're just going to push through and do it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, this may be uh, the culture of medicine. I think is that you kind of just have to figure it out, right? That's kind of like, if you think about, you know, training and things like that, it's like, you know, asking for help, uh, I think is sometimes seen as a sign of weakness. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons why people, especially the the doctors in our community, uh, don't want to ask for help. But there's a real downside to that. And, and this was the case for me. Uh, for me, I when I was just getting started uh, in real estate investing back, back in 2001, you know, I was investing with a friend, but 
we didn't really go out and seek people who were doing what we wanted to achieve. And that's really what we should have done. If, I, if there's one thing I could have told myself back then, it would have been, hey, go find a mentor, mm-hmm. go find somebody who is doing exactly what you want to do. And, and that way, you know, you can avoid the mistakes that they made and the mistakes that I ended up making. Well, the good news is there's a lot of resources that are available now that maybe weren't available back then. Things like the Facebook groups. So we have semi-retired physicians, semi-retired professionals, where you can go get free advice or free other learn from other people's experiences in the Facebook group and connect with other investors who are doing exactly what you want to do, sometimes even in your same market, and learn from them. Now let's talk about the second one. The second mistake that we see real estate investors make is that they buy properties for appreciation. Uh, just can't emphasize enough uh, how important cash flow is and not to buy properties for appreciation. Cash is king. It's the only thing that pays the bills. Whereas, I think we beat that drum a lot. <laughs> yeah, we have. Yeah. But but maybe maybe people who, who haven't heard us before, this is really important. Uh, you know, I think the problem is, is that appreciation is really sexy. I think mm-hmm. people hear these stories of, of, of hey, I bought this property for 200000 And now, you know, a year later, it's worth 450000 right? And that's really sexy. You want that. You're like, hey, I want that for myself. Uh, and I actually invested in a time like that back before the last downturn, the Great Recession back in 2007 to 2009, I was investing properties uh, for uh, several years before that. Uh, and I was buying properties for, let's say, 150000 And I was selling them a year later for 375000 I did this multiple times. And so that is really exciting and sexy. And uh, it's why people and, gamble. And it's why people gamble. And that's what it is at the end of the day. Uh, it's gambling. Uh, and and for those who don't know the story, yeah, I got caught. I had multiple of these properties that lost significant value. And honestly, the $150,000 that I paid for it, I couldn't sell that property for more than $5,000 after the after the downturn. Yeah. I mean, the, the truth is that real estate does tend to go up over time in a big market, you know, looking at the macro level. And so that's why a lot of people have made their wealth in real estate. They've bought primary homes and they sat on them for 80 years. And yeah, that did gain some value. And so a lot of the wealth is created in the country from that. But the fact is, it's not always guaranteed property to property. And yeah, if you look over 80 years, maybe it goes up, but there there are cycles, you know, there are downturns as well. Yeah. And so, and that's really the problem when you're playing the appreciation game, it is a waiting game. And sometimes prices can go up really slowly. And especially if there's a correction, like a downturn, prices can go down and then you're going to have to wait and sometimes many, many years before that the prices recover. And so that's the problem is that I think that it's a waiting game. You can't control it. And it, sometimes it can take a long time for you to get the benefit of that appreciation. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are out there in, in, in places that the real estate always goes up because we hear that a lot from people in specific high cost of living areas who, who over time, you know, it, it's true, the real estate did go up. So I want to talk to those of you who are out there in high cost of living areas, but you're buying for appreciation. And the, the story you're saying is that the property values always go up. And so maybe that's true. But again, you have to wait for that to happen. Whereas what would happen if you took that same money that you're plowing into a property that you're going to sit on for five years waiting for or 10 years waiting for the value to appreciate with market appreciation. If you took that money, you went and you bought a property somewhere else and you forced appreciation and then you pulled out that money and maybe you did a burr or a cash out ref- partial cash out refi and you take that money and you go and you put it into another property and you do it again. 
And in that same five or 10 years, you turn over your property, that same money over and over again. That's a velocity of money. And so, yes, maybe you made 100,000 sitting on a property for 10 years, but maybe in that time with that same money, doing it actively, going and forcing appreciation, you could have made much, much more. Yeah, you could have made much, much more. But even if you didn't make much, much more, you had that control, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it'll, you may not do as as good as you might have done with appreciation. Sometimes you'll do way better. uh, And at the end of the day, uh, on the one on the one hand, you have that control. On the other one, you're just kind of waiting, and you're you're essentially gambling. So uh, I think that lack of control is a really big one. Yeah, and actually, Kenji and I have had the same situation where we went and sold some of his properties, high high uh, value condos that had lost a lot of value in the downturn, and then were finally back up to where they needed to be. We sold them, and then they had massive market appreciation the year and two after. But we'd actually didn't like sit there and and suffer over it because we knew in that time we had taken our money, learned to invest in cash flowing rentals, had made a significant amount of money, and then also gained the skills to know how to invest in properties and make money rather than just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Well, I have no doubt that the amount we've learned and what we've done with that money, I mean, we can look at the numbers and just kind of compare them side by side. We know that with the velocity money and all the all the forced appreciation that we did, we know that we made more money with forced appreciation than we did betting on market appreciation. And don't forget about the tax benefits too. And this is in Seattle, which is like one of the hottest markets in the country too. Yeah. Have you ever dreamed of owning a vacation home? What if it could double as an investment property that makes you money and helps you save on taxes? Our new course, Accelerating Wealth, Short-Term Rental Blueprint, will teach you how to purchase and set up your short-term rental the right way. Learn more about the course at semiretiredmd.com slash str hyphen course. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. So the next mistake uh, that we see real estate investors make is not doing your numbers or even worse, putting in the wrong numbers. And we see this uh, very commonly. Sometimes people will buy properties based on, again, I think the it's oftentimes the appreciation potential or, or the potential that's in their head as opposed to diligently putting the numbers down. Uh, and one of the most important things uh, that we teach in our, in our courses is that it's making sure that you get the right numbers in there because the more accurate the numbers that you can get for for every single variable, the more likely your property is, is going to perform exactly as you predicted. So you want to make sure that you are not only diligent about doing the numbers, but you are also diligent about going out and finding the real the right numbers to make sure your property is performing exactly as you predicted. Yeah. And what we use as real estate investors is cash on cash calculators. And so we'll put a link below to our uh, cash and cash calculator for long-term rentals. But really that is the core of what we do when we decide if we want to buy a property. It's not emotional. It's not 
about whether or not there might be appreciation. We want to make sure that it's going to cash flow because that's going to make it an asset, not a liability. We don't want to be in the situation that a property is cash flow net neutral or negative and that we're paying out of pocket to support that property. Because when something happens, if something happens or when with a downturn, we don't want to be in the situation that we're trying to support that property and we're having to work to support it. So the fourth mistake that real estate investors make is that they buy for the tax benefit. We see this actually even with experienced investors Mm -hmm. and some people in our community as well. And one thing that we always say is don't let the tax tail wag the dog, right? Which means that don't buy based on the tax benefit. You got to consistently buy good deals, good investment properties, uh, and the tax benefits are just gravy, icing on the cake, whatever you want to call it. But it, it's just a side benefit. It's not the uh, not the reason why you should buy a property. Yeah. So we've actually almost stumbled into this a couple of times. We always keep each other accountable, which we're really lucky about. But we've, you know, at times it gets towards the end of the year and we still have some money to shelter. And we start to look at those, you know, 6% cash and cash deals and to wonder if we should buy them. And luckily we've always kept each other accountable to not end up going down those roads. Yeah. And the risk is, is that, you know, you may go for a more uh, an overpriced property uh, because actually the more you spend, the better the tax benefit when you use something called bonus depreciation. Uh, and so you may go for an expensive property and that property is less likely to cash flow because you paid a lot for it. And at the end of the day, that's not going to be a good investment for you. And in the long run, that tax benefit is just not worth it. Yeah. And so always, if you're buying long-term rentals, short-term rentals, whatever, buy a good deal first. And then the tax benefits are, again, just a bonus. All right. So the, the last mistake that we see real estate investors make is that is not preparing for the downturn. And I, I think the issue with the downturn is that nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, nobody wants to think that something like the downturn could happen. Uh, but having been through three downturns, uh, so the first one was back in 2001, the next one was 2007 to 2009, and more recently, the COVID recession, recessions happen. And when they happen, prices will go down. Uh, you might have to give rental concessions. The environment changes completely overnight. Uh, and I think that's something that people don't realize. And you just have to always remember real estate is cyclical. Prices can go down. They don't always go up. And so you want to just prepare, right? You want to be thinking about what if, right? What if this happens? What can I do to prepare for this potential downturn? And 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 that's an important discussion that you want to have. If you can do this in a community, even better, because then you're not just thinking alone and trying to figure it out. You can actually ask people who have actually been through downturns and learn from them. And that brings us back to the first one. Uh, you want to make sure that you surround yourself with people who have done this before. Yeah. And thinking about the downturn actually even starts with the properties you purchase, right? So we purchase multifamily BC class properties because we're thinking about what happens with the downturn when people do lose their jobs and they can't afford high rents anymore, 3,000, 4,000 a month, they're going to end up moving into our properties that make $1,000 a month. So we're thinking about it right when we're even deciding what types of properties we're going to buy. Um, And we think about it in terms of our portfolio as well. We think about what do we want our portfolio to be made of? Um, For us, multifamily long-term rentals are really like 
the stability level in terms of that compared to buying a single family short-term rental, which is going to go up and down value with the market. And potentially during a downturn, there's going to be difficulty with getting vacation rentals. We think about all that. And so we balance our portfolio to include both because short-term rentals have a lot of benefit um, with cash flow, for example, and, and some of those tax benefits. We, we have that balanced portfolio. And we think about that even when we're buying right at the very beginning, not when the downturn comes. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if you look at our portfolio, we also have a number of properties uh, that have recession-proof renters, mm-hmm. right? So we have uh, some uh, supported living, uh, which is a state-funded uh, program. Uh, we also have some Section 8 as well. Uh, so those are going to be government-backed uh, rentals. So so we have uh, we know that even during a downturn, rent's going to continue to come in from those rentals. Yeah, and military. We have a ton of military mm, renters yeah. as well um, with that stability. Yeah, and then the other thing from the portfolio perspective is we have gotten rid of some of our properties that we felt maybe were uh, like so some of our single family homes, for example, which we thought could depreciate uh, during a downturn. Uh, and then we traded up for really, really good multifamily properties. Uh, and you know, I think the other thing that you could do is uh, renovations, right? Uh, that's that's something else we've really been thoughtful about is is making our properties the best on the block, right? So that renters will choose our property over others. Uh, and especially during a downturn, you may have to compete like that. Uh, and instead of giving rental concessions, uh, which is something that's very common during downturns, you have a really nice property that people want to live in. So they choose your property over others. Right. And then it's got the side benefit that you feel really good that you're putting out a quality product and you're taking care of your tenants. You're not just uh, putting out a horrible product and, and having people live in bad conditions, which we oftentimes see with the properties we buy. So it's got that additional kind of social benefit of contribution. So those are our five mistakes real estate investors commonly make. We hope you learn from them and you can avoid making them as well. If you have any comments or anything like that, jump into our Facebook groups. We have semi-retired physicians, semi-retired professionals. We would love to see you in there. And of course, subscribe to our podcast, Rich Doc, Poor Doc, and leave us a review below. Thank you so much. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.